0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hi, my name's Dr. Hussain from Steph's Pack Lunch, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, how many muscles are in the human finger? Okay, here comes the show, and remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, welcome to Dame Baptiste's Questions Everything, a podcast with myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka the hisser. Hello! And a mix of very special guests posed the questions that need to be asked, and we're talking everything from. We are talking everything
0: from Dr. Zane from Steph's Pack Lunches question. A celebrity, Dane, look at that. How nice. many muscles are in the human finger? Dane, do you have... That's actually a, a question that has a definite answer, isn't it, mate? Do you have the answer?
2: I don't know if I do, because... Um, first of all, f- hey, Dr. Zane, and thank you to the Steph's Pack Lunch family for supporting the podcast. Um, Howard, that is... is that stump one. That it, it stumped me because I don't know. I think it's one of these things. This might be a trick question because uh, do fingers have muscles? Well,
0: what let me you tell think? you. <laughs> let me tell you. Each finger has six muscles controlling its movement: three intrinsic and three extrinsic. So niche.
2: niche are, they, are, they, are they muscles? Are they cartilage? The reason oh, actually,
0: no. I... I'm wrong, Dane. I'm wrong. <laughs> fingers do not contain muscles. <laughs>
2: fingers do not contain muscle because there's like a place in the body like fingers and then you know just under your your rib cage where Mm. if boxers hit people and it was called a haymaker yeah I, I think there's like a place where you can't generate muscle Right. So it's always good. It's always like...
0: like so a, it was technically a trick question there from Dr. Zane. Well done to him. Uh, that's very good.
2: And more trick questions, please, audience.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Suffice, suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we,
2: Dane? That is right. And there are no questions that we would tend to shake a finger at. No question is too muscular. No question is too emaciated or atrophied. if you do enjoy the show... Please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on ACAST, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by very special guests. Quests, and none of these questions are anything to shake a finger at. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is a prolific comedian and writer. She won Columnist of the Year at the PPA Awards for a column in The New Statesman and won the GG2 Young Achiever of the Year Award. She regularly writes for publications such as The Guardian and The Financial Times. Her TV appearances include QI, The Jonathan Ross Show, Celebrity Island with Bear Grylls, Man, and Top Gear. Her new live show, Coconut, has been nominated for Best Stand-Up Tour in Channel 4's National Conference. Comedy Awards, and she used to teach Dizzy Rascal maths and <laughs> let him know that maths probably wasn't a subject for him possibly pointing him in the creative direction of music so you might have this comedian to partially thank for Dizzy Rascal's discography indirectly please welcome to the show ms shazia meza
1: hi hi <laughs> welcome dizzy rascal is my most is my greatest achievement of everything in that list that is my greatest achievement even though he's gone off the wires lately he still is my greatest achievement how was he with
0: fractions and equations well
1: actually, actually I used to teach him science I oh science uh, I, yeah, <laughs> I used to te- I used to teach physics chemistry and biology to GCSE and, um, right. and I, don't remember, was-
0: I don't remember that song about osmosis that he did but I'm sure he did one at some point no
1: do you not remember Boy in that Corner that yeah. was it's about a right angle triangle. Right. Uh, there you go. There, <laughs> there you go. You go 90, 90, Ninety degrees. Ninety degrees. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he is my greatest achievement, actually, to see where mm. he came from and where I came from and where we both are now. Exactly.
2: So. Yeah. I think I think it's nice because normally, like, there's always that paradigm between teacher and student, where the teacher's like, "You're not going to amount to anything," and the, teacher, the student's like, "I'm going to show you." But you can both meet in the same party and be like. Ah. I mean, I
1: mean, don't get me wrong, Dane. I did say that a couple of times. Too, yeah. To be honest.
2: Yeah. That's the motivation you need sometimes It's like my primary school teacher, Miss Taylor, when she was like, "Dane, you're not very funny." I was like. I'm very funny.
1: Funny? <laughs> yeah, you, you
2: wouldn't say this otherwise, Miss Taylor, if I wasn't funny. I'm not even in your class and it's the last day of school. And she was like, you're not that funny. No one's laughing with you. They're laughing at you. And I was like, you're just jealous that I'm funny, didn't you, Miss Taylor?
1: I mean, I'll tell you something. Well, I was at Glastonbury a few years ago and I was on stage um, doing my comedy in the tent. And at the same time, Dizzy Rascal was on at the Pyramid stage doing his set. And he had a way bigger audience than me. I got to tell you. And we were listening. We were listening. (laughs) (laughs) We were listening to him play while we were in my tent. There was about ten people sleeping in my tent, and there was about two hundred thousand listening to him.
2: Yeah, Um, but but that's just that's just the way the circle of life goes. Because there's a point in time where, when you were back in school, you had a bigger audience. And new mm. era faculty and students alike. And then maybe, if maybe you inspired him, he was like, maybe I want to be the Shazia Mirza of Glastonbury or the Dr. Mirza of <laughs> Glastonbury. And that's what he did. And like, now,
1: you know, he's not doing so well, but you know, I'm on, I, I, I'm doing well, you know, I'm going to. This-
0: Circle of life. <laughs> oh, as Elton John once famously said, uh, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the format of this show
2: dictates, mate. It's a, it was a matter of time before you brought up Elton John, Howard. And that's fine. <laughs> but um, absolutely, uh, Shazia Merza, as our very esteemed guest, we'd like to invite you to ask the first question, which we'd like to discuss for about 15 minutes or some change. Then my producer friend, Howard Cohen here, the I would like to pose a question to you, which we'd like to discuss for about a quarter of an hour. And then... Following the same cyclical circle of life, I would like to ask you a question, discuss for about 15 minutes or so, and then we'd like for you to let our listeners know where they can find out about your good works past, present and future, and possibly if you're still tutoring grime with a side of science.
1: Okay, thank you. Thanks, David. <laughs> um, so the other day, uh, yes, well, it's just yesterday, I was reading the paper and I saw that Al Pacino, who's 82, uh, went out for his birthday with his new girlfriend, who's 28.
0: Oof, right, big gap. <laughs> nice palindrome there. Mm-hmm.
1: And I thought to myself, Anyway, I read an article and she said she's in love with him. And I I thought about this. I thought, what is attraction? Because um, I then went out to a comedy club and I I was talking to some people and they were all going, oh, God, I'm sick of these women. They're all after these men, old men for money and and fame. And, And I thought, well, hang on a minute. Maybe she is in love. because. Why doesn't anybody take that angle that she could be in love? And what is attraction? Because I used to be a science teacher and I know all about attraction chemically. So I know, you know, with a magnet, you know, it's got positive end and negative end and it can pick up iron filings from either end. And attraction can be like and like can attract, but also opposites can attract. And I thought, that is uh, the facts, the scientific facts of attraction. Mm. But what in life? What is attraction? And then I see people on TV all the time and they go, Oh, I really like them pair on TV. They had great chemistry. And I think, What does that mean? Great chemistry. What does mm. that mean? That, oh, those two presenters together, they were talking about a couple of presenters. Oh, they're really great chemistry between them. I thought, What does that mean?
0: It is a fascinating question with multiple layers, right, Dane? Multiple layers to this.
2: Oh, no, Definitely. It's a, it's a really good question. And um, I think it's, uh, I guess, it, yeah, it, it definitely varies in definition. But I think mean, we've already started off with what the scientific and chemical, well, definitely a scientific definition or physical definition of attraction in terms of, yeah, ionic attraction. We can definitely do that. Or, uh and in terms of char- the, the way that magnets are charged, we can work that one out. And, you know, we kind of use that uh, metaphor in our daily interaction. Well, not daily interaction, but humans describe like animal magnetism mm. as another type of attraction. But
0: I mean, it's, it's there's, there's so many different types of attraction. And I think... It it, it 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 is very much in the eye of the or the or the or the soul of the beholder, right? Because um, you know what you might be attracted to in a partner is often, in some cases, uh, not good for you. <laughs> um, now that doesn't mean that Al Pacino and his girlfriend is not good for them, but there may there may be something that's come from not the necessarily the healthiest place. But that doesn't mean it's not—it's—it—it's it, 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 necessarily bad for them. It, it, it's not—it's not one size fits all, is it? Attraction—that's what makes it so. Well, I definitely
2: think that one part of attraction is definitely influenced by suggestion. So, mm. like I said, so like I said, Howard. Even though people might be attracted to what's necessarily bad for them, I don't necessarily know if it, if it's an image they're attracted to. But I think mm. that through suggestion, people are encouraged to maybe pursue certain aspects of, I suppose, their desires even if they are carnal or they might be negative because it's just for attraction. So in terms of like people saying young women are only dating men of profile like Al Pacino for their money, but then you have a society which suggests in every other aspect that someone having access to wealth and resources is an attractive aesthetic. And we present having material wealth as being attractive in the first place. But Can that discounts
0: collect- the uh, it, 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 that that version of events discounts what could be a, a psychological profile of a person. Is that fair to say, Shazia? That you you know, there is a certain type of person it could be a man or a woman, by the way, who has yeah. an upbringing that means that they will be looking for an older partner.
1: I mean, that could be our, our morals come into this a lot. Like people get very moralistic about this and say. You know he's eighty-two and she's twenty-eight. This is obscene. You know this is you know this is terrible. This is disgusting. And you know they always see the negative or the dark side of it. And that mm-hmm. you know this is this is wrong. This shouldn't be happening. And then you know all the woman's characteristics get brought into it: her background, her class, her you know you know how successful her, 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 her
2: employment history, yeah, yeah, her, her education and.
1: And I've read more about this girlfriend than I have about Al Pacino. Like, it's confusing people because um, the girlfriend is from a very wealthy family. She's very well educated. Um, She works in, in a massive company, I think it's Disney or Fox, where she's an executive there. So it's kind of thrown people's perceptions of what this might be off track. Yeah. like she's not trailer trash or you know she hasn't been married 10 times or she hasn't got five kids from five different men it's nothing like that so this is really confusing people and I thought well this could just be she's attracted to him
2: I could see it I mean when you consider her when you exactly when you once you give the uh context of her work if she's oh. had like quite as considered I mean she's 28 but if she's had like a considerable career working as an exec within um, the entertainment industry. Does it stand to reason that she wouldn't be attracted to one of the most prolific people that have participated in that industry in the last 20 years? Like in terms of attraction, remember that, I mean, there's obviously different types of attraction as well, because we're obviously describing sexual or romantic attraction, but there's also platonic attraction where you can be drawn to someone that you find inspiring or someone who's, uh, I suppose, career trajectory or, uh, personal trajectory might be something you want to emulate because they have made achievements that you want to kind of follow as well. So it could be the fact that she wants to work in a movie industry and yeah. she admires that, and maybe and Al Pacino epitomizes all of that. So that could be the reason. Um, but, I mean, you know, Joan,
1: Col- Joan Collins is eighty-eight, and her husband is fifty-seven.
2: There you go, and, and
1: they and they've been married for twenty years.
2: Yeah, and, they, and see, so it definitely works, and i and I. Again, if you were to remove the uh, aesthetic or superficial element of what we think of when we consider somebody like Joan Collins, you can understand why she'd be attractive to somebody because, and I think that's the main part of it, is that when we consider these things, it's always done in a very superficial level. So with those two examples, kind of like people might look at Joan Collins and be like, being that she's so much older than her partner and also being an older woman, what Mm. carnal or... Uh, physiological benefits come from being in a relationship with somebody yeah. of that age and I think that's the problem is that there is this idea that you know particularly for women that your femininity or your womanhood becomes compromised or ends up being in once you go past a certain age and so when you are found up in a relationship with somebody who's younger than you who by that token should have supposedly should have more vitality than you have people will question especially people that have grown up in a society where your youth is commodified And seen as adding value to your personage. Why people feel if someone hasn't got that youth, then why should they be as affable as someone who's a bit younger? And that maybe that's the problem is that like there are a lot of good things about Robert De Niro. I mean, yeah, Al Pacino in terms of like his life achievements, his contribution to arts and culture, um, how he's um, been pivotal in terms of defining and uh, promoting a particular genre of cinema. And these are all things that as a guy who looks at someone like Al Pacino platonically and artistically, these are the things that I would say draw him to me as an actor and a performer. Yeah. But because my attraction towards him is platonic one, it's not questioned. Mm-hmm. Whereas if his partner is taking all this into account, and this in turn is a catalyst for a more sexual attraction, because in many ways, you know, in terms of the same Western definitions of masculinity, when you think about it and consider it, you could, it's very easy to see someone like Al Pacino in that same light because he's portrayed such hyper-masculine, iconic characters. Like, you know, he was Scarface, he was an MP yeah. Sunday. So is uh, Carlito Brigante. So maybe this is a thing. Again, the, That these are things that within a society, which has, it can be very suggestible in terms of I- ideas of attractiveness and masculinity.
1: It's also, like, cult- culture- culturally, like, people find this shocking in the West, they go, oh my God, oh my God, you know, he's 82, she's 28. This is this is disgusting and all of this. But in my culture, this is actually not that shocking. Hmm. Because, you know, if you go back to like my my heritage is Pakistan, people are kind of not married off, but um, you know, their life plan is sorted out from kind of the age of five or six, when they go, you know, when you get to 20, you're gonna marry this man. We've got this man like. Up for you. Um, And then they get married very young, you know, when they're 17. It's not unusual for like a 17, 18 year old girl to marry a 50 year old man, you know. So it's not that unusual. And a lot of the times you hear the dark side of it or, you know, this is not right. But a lot of the times these marriages, like my mum, she was only 19 when she married my dad and he was about 35, but they're still married and um, they they grow to love each other because that in our culture, that's what we do. We just stick together and we kind of grow together and divorce wasn't really that of a a, a thing, acceptable thing. So that's not unusual.
0: I think also in each scenario that we're looking at, has someone been horrendously hurt by the establishment of this new relationship? So I'm not going to jump in on some celebrity gossip, but there have been, men and i assume some women but they often hear of men leaving long-term partners for younger uh girlfriends and i think people will naturally uh feel sad for that partner who, who maybe has had 40 years of marriage children family you know and and then they're they're kind of Moved on for you know they move on to a new part. That's that's I think a scenario that I does think upsets people because they fear it's going to happen to them at some point. But I think yeah. I
2: think most external upset about any time someone sees a uh, aesthetic that's different to what they're used to, the upset is comes from them projecting their own fears onto it. So as you said, Shazia, like a lot of the time there is a dark side that is kind of portrayed that like there's a lot of coercion and like there's like almost quasi trafficking involved in younger women being yeah. into older men. <laughs> but it's quite interesting when you kind of juxtapose that with the rate of divorce in the West and how much um revenue streams are generated from perpetuating singledom and commodifying youth within Western civilization as well. Because it would be said to a lot of young people, Oh, you're too young to get married. And you're too young, and I, I feel like there are so many things in society where people are like, "Oh, you're too young for this," and I think it doesn't really, but then it doesn't really make any sense because within that same society, people will be uh, what be allowed to do something which obviously carries a lot more uh, consequence than, for example, let's say, for example, in this country, the uh, legal age for sexual congress is 16 years old, or mm. you have to be 18 to vote. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, so I'm old enough to be fucked, but I'm not old enough to stop myself from being fucked over. Yeah. So when people talk about stuff like the scope for uh, the manipulation and coercion of younger people, well, how come those younger people are not allowed to be involved in political discourse so they can be involved in determining what legislation would be acceptable and what wouldn't be acceptable? So okay. I think attraction, some... yeah, it can be very... And I think, I think the problem with the... Uh, in terms of attraction is that there's a conflation of like attraction and romance and love and I think romance is the real problem because that's more of a construct than anything else I think historically and culturally there's been um people are aware there might be some benefits despite there being a large age gap that there are other benefits to a coupling or a marriage that don't just involve physical appearance and vitality and carnality and I, think I mean, really I nice. think my wife's only
0: with me because I'm pretty good at keeping the house <laughs> kind of organised, really. Uh, I think I think it wasn't for many other reasons. I don't
1: and think. the tech. You're good the at tech. tech. Yeah. Not the bad tech. at the
0: tech, yeah. Turning
1: yeah. it on and turning it, turning it back off again. I can
0: plan a weekly, you know, <laughs> schedule of dinners as well better that's, than she ever useful. That's pretty could. useful. And also, yeah, yeah. And
2: also Howard, uh, genetics, because you have a son... Yeah, yeah, and you know, there, the is same some, time, there, is some,
0: there is some potency.
2: Uh, yeah, but right at the same well. time, that comes with a compromise that, you know, as well as being able to conceive a lovely son, your wife is like, you also can sleep in a separate room. And that level of understanding, yep. that can make the whole difference. We're back here again. We're yeah. back here again. <laughs> it's been a while, but like, you know, so Shaz, if you're not aware, Howard and his wife have <laughs> sleep in separate rooms.
1: I know loads of people like that. Exactly, right, which they, I said yeah,
2: to him, yeah. because, because it's sometimes... Oh. Is that level of compromise in order to make your marriage work? Because these are things yeah. that are external from romance, like the need to sleep and be comfortable. Yeah. Thing. That, can, that can be the difference of keeping a marriage together versus somebody who thinks that attraction, when it's conflated with romance, means you have to share the same bed and your wife has to come to bed in matching silk and satin negligees all the time. And that's not how life works realistically. So,
1: my, think- par- my parents haven't slept together for 30 years. And they've been married for fifty years.
2: Wow! There you go. I've never, I have never seen my parents watch TV in the same room in their own house.
1: (laughs) And they're still together.
2: Well, for forty years.
1: See, Mm. that's that's the way to make it work. If you're together all the time, you're going to wear each other out. That's that's chemistry. You'll just wear each other out.
0: Well, conveniently for someone who's uh, in a late stages of life uh, dating someone in the earlier stage of life, they're definitely not going to have to worry about that potentially because uh, <laughs> <laughs> that next forty years ain't going to happen if you're eighty whatever and you're
2: dating someone. Yeah, who's 20. But at, right? but at the same time, Al Pacino using that specific that specific example, Al Pacino is someone who you could argue has already somewhat been immortalized within yeah. society based mm. on his contributions. And I think when you look at like you know maybe the lifestyle of a twenty year old executive versus an 80-year-old accomplished actor, there could be a synergy in terms of at least temporarily where it's like, she's a very busy woman because she's an exec. And yeah. an 82-year-old man probably needs only so much time where he has to choose his time uh, very uh, very carefully. So, you know, opportunity may have time to do go over scripts yeah. or maybe he has time to do a podcast here and there. Then he has his lunch, retic- his, his uh, nutrition, his nutrition planned, and then maybe he has a small window which he can leave for like, you know, romance or for, like, intimacy. and Just a nice being, meal. Yeah, and being at his partner is... And sometimes that's what counts, Howard. Like, he mm-hmm. might be, like, an 8 year old man who, like, likes to have his supper at, like, maybe 10 o'clock in the evening. She may mm-hmm. only just get off work at the same time. And just having that coupling um, kind of works. So I think... The, who some, knows?
0: I like the idea that, you know, I like the idea that Al Pacino's got someone to share his chicken Kievs with on a Yeah,
2: and on I, a I, like actually, I like chicken Kievs. And if I had somebody that was cool to, and like Howard, trust me, having someone you can eat with is yeah. a key part of making a relationship work. Oh, really, I, I oh, think so. Like if you if you have to eat with somebody who either has bad eating habits or doesn't like nice cuisine or they chew yeah. loudly, I oh. couldn't handle that. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's the part of that. So I think that attraction is something that isn't sexual and romantic, like most people think. Attraction yeah. is something that transcends just the uh, physical it's, and it's, sexual. It's
1: many. Many different things. things. And what a brilliant
0: question. What a question, Dane. Shazia, bravo. Well done.
2: It's a great question. Where's my 82-year-old bride? Just kidding.
0: (laughs) We'll we'll, (laughs) we'll put an ad out for you, Dane. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to... It's quite topical uh, what you've uh, talked about there, Shazia, which is quite interesting. And uh, at the time of recording, uh, there's quite a topical thing going on, guys, which you might have heard about the um, Supreme Overlord... who taking over Twitter, um, this lovely man called Elon Musk, uh, who's a very busy guy that decided to buy uh, one of the biggest social media platforms in the world. And he he, he has talked a lot about free speech. And we talk about it a bit, but I thought I'd bring it back for this episode and say, how free do you want your free speech? Shazia?
1: How how free? How free do you want it what do you mean free I like to pay for it or free, no, to, say free what in you want? to
0: say anything you want but,
1: you know all these people that, that are coming out now i have to say mainly white men who are coming out and saying oh you know what you can't say anything these days you can't say anything these days you get cancelled you get you get your work lost you can't do this you can't do that for a start, white men have had it good for a long time. They've had it good for a very long time. They've said what they've wanted Preach. to say.
2: <laughs> <Preach>. <laughs> <They've> said, Testify. <laughs> they have
1: said what they've wanted to say. They've made all their money. They've been they've had what they've wanted. They've been able to achieve Remember their that time own- they
2: said the earth was flat?
1: Oh, God, and they've not went along, people believe that.
2: came back <laughs> again after the white men were like, let's go to space, and we were okay. Everybody was like, shouldn't we feed poor people? And they was like, oh. no, let's go to space. There's a whole moon out there. And then everybody else was like, fine. And then after they came back from the space, some guys were like, yeah, that was fake. <laughs>
1: mm. And now... You know, uh, they can't, nobody cares what they have to say. No one cares about their opinion. They can't get on the BBC. When was the last time we saw a white man on the BBC? I mean, 1954, where are they? Where are they? I miss that diversity. I miss it. We
2: know know where one of them is. And he's probably the reason why you don't let a lot of white guys on the BBC. Yeah, yeah, right.
1: And I was on stage the (laughs) other night talking about this. And this guy goes... Yeah, yeah, but we had a really good run. I said, "What do you mean had a really good run? (laughs) What do you you mean had? This is you're still having a good run of it. You know, we're we brown and black people. We're just a moment. We are just a moment. White people. Well, these white men are on sabbatical." They're on sabbatical. <laughs> they're going to come back. Sure. And go- Charlie, did you, know,
2: you did you see Howard's face when you said sabbatical as, as a Jew? He was like, "They even stole sabbatical from us. <laughs> we can We say sabbatical, no one even cares." <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But the thing is, Howard, you're the wrong type of white. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, you're. Um, yeah, sabbatical. That's the problem. I think.
1: And the thing is, when you say about free speech, listen. At the end of the day, in this country, at least in Britain, you can say whatever you want. You you can go on stage any night of the week and say whatever you want. You're not going to get arrested. You're not going to get fined. No one's going to put you in prison. You know, people might walk out. People might not buy a ticket to your show, but nobody is actually stopping you from saying what you want to say. You know, go to Saudi Arabia and do the same jokes. You'll know what free speech is then. So all these men's saying you know i can't say what i want to say i'll get cancelled that is rubbish it's a this cancelled culture being is a myth you can say what you want um and if if you're scared of saying what you that you can't say what you want then think about what you're saying maybe what you're saying innately you know is racist or sexist or homophobic or misogynistic you you know that it's wrong and I think you there's. Yeah. There's an
0: awful lot of truth in that. I, I, I think I'd add a kind of a, a sliver of uh, 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 just to, to, to add on to it. Which I, I do think we're living in very fractured times. The internet has de- has developed those fractures. We're we're, we're, we're you know you, you can find every nuance of opinion online if you want it. Really, I think you know and and but because of this kind of online discourse, I think. What is normally uh in history been like relegated to like protest marches um now has this kind of endless opportunity to be to be to be said you know so when you take certain things that would be considered part of this kind of woke world, which i don't necessarily subscribe to these terms, but that's the easiest way to explain it I think uh People that woke a lot of that woke world stuff is protest. Really, just that it's that simple. It's just a form of protest. And one thing that we know from history is that young people protesting about things always do it in a pretty reckless way. So there's there's bits of it that will be errors and mistakes. But at the same time, uh, it's going to fuck off older generations massively, no matter what it is, right? So, And that's why we're in these scenarios where, where it feels like, I think, you know, the, the desire for people on that kind of, who keep banging on, oh, I'm going to be can- cancel culture, they're, they're banging on about it. And I, I see some semblance of... Re-
1: when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
0: reason in that because there are people who are really far on the other end who are just desperate to say, well, now you've done that. That means you're, you know, we can never, I will never look at your books again. I would never have anything to do with you again, which is what creates these kind of, I don't know, Dane, it's like a cyclical thing, right? It just seems to be going around in circles.
2: Yeah. I mean, but I think that's that's uh, the pattern of uh, human civilization. I think, I want to say, first of all, that I uh, had Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter um, is a particularly significant event, uh, I would say, towards Howard and your people, because between him and Rupert Murdoch, no longer can anyone say that Jews control the media. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a fat we chunk really of it seems to be owned life. by non-Jews. So, yeah. you know, that settles that argument that takes place online, in terms of within, within the sphere of, of free speech. Yeah, um, we're delighted about that. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'd say... How free does speech need to be uh, or how can it get? I agree with Shazia in that like for some people speech has been very free. I think the fact that a lot of people who bemoan the uh, decline of free speech the fact that they are able to voice their dissent in English and everyone understands that language should give them an idea of how privileged their speech has been. If you as a, a heterosexual cisgender white male from Europe speaking a language that people who have never visited your country or your hemisphere of the world are able to understand that alone shows you how free your speech is the fact that it can be understood by so many different people because English is one of the more prevalent languages in the world um all, I think free speech has is something that has never become the thing about speech is that I think a lot of time we forget that 90% of human communication is like nonverbal anyway. So speech in terms of determining um, our freedoms and uh, human behavior and social mechanics isn't that pivotal to it. I think speech only becomes dangerous when it prefaces maybe the uh, oppression or the erasure of someone else's human or civil rights. And that's hmm. normally what we tend to talk about when we when we worry about the existence of of, of free speech. But I agree with Shazi in that, like I find it very funny the people that we moan free speech because there are institutions that have existed to curtail or monitor or censor speech within Western civilization for years. And no one questioned it until we arrived at the point of having a, at least, discursive democracy on social media, which I believe has led to a state of almost like uh, the... Emperor being revealed for not wearing clothes, mm. because what happens on social media is that, like, what you've had for many years within the Western part of civilization is that you know, as again, um, and I use this more of an in an ideological way than a literal way, but the consciousness of uh, European of Eurocentricity and of like you know patriarchy that's been a dominant voice because they've had that kind of power and they've had access to media and they've had control of the media, and so when we talk about speech. The way speech manifests in terms of how it's on media, how it appears in, um, uh, I suppose, in political and even theological doctrine. Mm. A lot of, I guess, white men have been in control of that. Whereas social media is very different in that it's allowed, it's democratised speech, where normally for you to be able to speak and give uh, your viewpoint... You need to have a few qualifiers so for you to speak in the house of commons you may have to be a member of parliament or for you to, to speak within a uh, academic institution you'd maybe need certain qualifications or to write a book you'd need the help of a publisher whereas now a lot of these uh, previously insular institutions have been um have waned in power because instead of you having to go to a publisher to purport a theory and write a book as maybe a non-white person you can just have a blog online Mm. which means you have access to an equal audience just like a uh, typical typic- a historically powerful institution would have so in a way that like so a rich person could buy a newspaper and they can they can disseminate what they believe their truth or their speech to be now social media provides an opportunity to challenge that speech which might be part of the reason why you know a billionaire like elon musk would buy something like twitter because then he is able to control information that is disseminated and to control the access to media and buy that by that token, can control perception. And I think that's what's been a great fear of people that have historically had power is that now, if nothing else, speech has been democratised and has become free. So I don't think the issue is that the decline in free speech that uh, a lot of straight white men men are experiencing is them having to experience a rebuttal. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, a, I think a big part of male privilege and a big part of privilege in the West in general has been the privilege of oblivion, where you've had one viewpoint... For example, you might hear that African dictators are corrupt and they misappropriate funds that are sent to them in terms of relief aid. And that's why we have this perpetual poverty that we see on the continent. But now there is evidence to the contrary where people that are within these environments could be like, no, what happens is actually is that our resources are pledged to European superpowers and they in turn... So, uh financially incentivize despots and dictators and corrupt people to marginalize civilians so they can have access to said resources so now it's not that speech on one side is being curtailed it's that that speech can now be met by an alternate narrative yeah. and that's really the issue so and I think that's a healthy thing and it's just a a state that human beings are not necessarily used to well that's the problem right yeah. is that it's it's also new we talk about like echo chambers and things that are such yeah. and it's not that echo chambers haven't existed before. It's just that within real life, your brain and just normal social etiquette has been designed to process it, whereby if you can overhear or eavesdrop in a conversation you don't like or doesn't have any relevance or is nonsensical, you already can follow human patterns of behavior like, well, these guys are talking shit, Someone I'm gonna walk over there, go for a cigarette or sit somewhere else or put in my headphones. We're able to drown it out. Whereas within social media, we've had to take the time to learn about how we process our um, appearance on social media, in mm. that social media is only a few teenage years old. And if you think about it as a human being, when you're a teenager, you kind of are aware of your identity, but you haven't necessarily found your tribe yet. And as we said with the previous question, attraction and suggestion sometimes can make us feel like we're supposed to be drawn to a particular group because of how it looks or because of certain uh, cultural indicators. And then Mm -hmm. as you get older and you get a lot more experience in terms of navigating various different groups and tribes, you learn what actually works for you is something that actually um, happens on more than a superficial level. So So in the same way like now, because social media's consciousness is like a teenager, it means that we're a lot more, drawn to ideas like identity politics because like when you're a kid for example and you begin to become independent and have the opportunity to pursue your own social groups you tend to think about things along the lines of uh i'm black so i don't need to be in this group of black people when i'm this class so i have to be around the people of this class and you know i i'm around people that follow the same religious belief or have a very similar sexual orientation and then mm. maybe as you get older and you get more experience and you're not as beholden to these um political identities in order to find your group, you find, I guess, your perception and your taste and your social group will probably become a bit more eclectic or more effective of who you are because you have the experience of um, experiencing different types of attraction. So maybe you find the one that is the strongest attraction.
0: Yeah, maybe. I I think we're just going to end up in... I think it's going to be very, very messy.
2: But I think that free speech should be able to go on as long as possible because then... And I think a large amount of this discussion is based on human discourse as it takes place alongside artificial intelligence on social media. We'll get to the point where through that, an aristocracy will have to arise. Like, if we're all speaking, one of two things has happened where we have to have some kind of mutuality in order for us to progress. And maybe that's the problem with social media and free speech on social media is that because it encourages individualism, it makes it a lot harder for us to find an intersectionality and have at least some kind of unified um, objective in order for us to progress. So free speech should probably work because it allows for us to kind of have mutuality and commonality and then be able to at least politic about those commonalities and find what will be the best solution for all of us. So, yeah, we need some... So I guess some kind of digital parliament will have to arise out of free speech, as free as it gets. But I think... It'll be
0: interesting to see... In years to come, when people listen back to this episode, <laughs> where it went after the time when Elon Musk took over Twitter, it's going to be an interesting era uh, ahead.
2: It could be, um, or it could be a, it could fizzle, because Rupert Murdoch bought YouTube at one point, and then people forget that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Which is why it's so funny when you see people on YouTube, particularly the same aforementioned straight, white, marginalised men who are like, don't trust mainstream media. I'm like, YouTube is mainstream media. What the fuck are you talking about? It's owned by Google, for God's sake. Yeah. It doesn't get more mainstream than Google. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um,
2: so, yeah.
0: Well, listen, let us know what you think about this, this the scenario we're about to enter with free speech. It's uh, it's an interesting time for it. And um, Dane, it's over to you, buddy, to wrap up this episode with a question.
2: Um. So, uh Shazia, my question to be honest to you is uh, based on your uh, new live show, Coconut, which has been nominated for Best Standard Uh Tour in the National Comedy Awards. So congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Um, Which is unsurprising. Um, Now, I don't want to be presumptive, but in terms of coconut, I'm assuming that you're not talking about uh, the beans from which we get delicious alternatives to dairy milk.
1: No, no. I mean, I did. Um, I do talk a bit about being on the island with Bear Grylls. I did um, mm-hmm. the island with Bear Grylls, and all we had to eat was coconuts. But okay. that is not what it's about. It's really about the the term coconut. It's used by brown people about other brown people who are not and seen, black
2: people too. Yeah,
1: and, and who are not seen to be helping the cause of brown people. Yes. And I said that black people have the term "bounty," black on the outside, white on the inside. Absolutely,
2: yeah. A brand of coconut-based chocolates, For those who yeah. don't know, but there's and there's and, there's, so, but, and there are, and for those who are unaware, there are a number of colloquial terms that are used to describe a person of color who other people feel. Are demonstrating behaviors or ideas which are more in line with white or Eurocentric values. So yeah. I said, with Black people, it's bounty; with Asian people, it'd be coconut; yeah. uh, with um, Southeast Asian people, it's Twinkie.
1: Oh, I didn't know that one.
2: Yeah, so Twinkie is another one where it's like yellow on the outside and white oh, on the
1: inside. Oh, all right, um, that's a new yeah. one. I haven't heard that. So yeah. I was, I was talking about uh, talking about this because I myself have been called a coconut, but
2: me too. Until- so that's why my my question was going to be. What do you think that coconuts do exist and what does the term mean to you?
1: I mean, I, t- I talk about it in my show in, in, in a quite political terms because I talk about how Shamima Begum, she left Britain to go and join ISIS in Syria. But she can't come back now because Sajid Javid, who was the Home Secretary at the time, revoked her passport. So making her stateless and no previous British Home Secretary had ever revoked anybody's passport. Mm. And there have been people that have gone to join terrorist organizations abroad, but no previous Home Secretary had ever revoked their passport. David Blunkett had never revoked anybody's passport. Jack, take off your veil, straw, he had never revoked anybody's passport. Even Teresa Alien May had never revoked anybody's passport. And I glad someone's
2: she, kind of glad someone's using her full name
1: yes i mean and then along comes (laughs) what
2: no no because when she was what's the what's the craziest thing you've ever done Teresa? one time me (laughs) and my friends ran through a farmer's field of wheat it was really daring alien (laughs) over
1: (laughs) no empathy no sympathy terrible posture
2: Yeah, the posture Uh, is crazy. Not to mention the dancing. That's real terrestrial. Everything
1: about this woman was awkward. It made me feel awkward on her behalf. I was awkward for her.
2: Yeah, even though she was wearing like a pantsuit with trousers and not having to like conform to any like, you know, patriarchal (laughs) idea of femininity. I was still like, she's uncomfortable in that pantsuit.
1: I don't think (laughs) Theresa May liked Theresa May. I just don't think that she was comfortable being... Theresa May. or oh, the then, agent then,
2: controlling Theresa May doesn't like <laughs> Theresa May.
1: And then she came out and became the prime minister and we all saw this awkwardness in like times 10. And yeah. it was just so awkward. But she even, she had never revoked anybody's passport. And then along comes Uncle Sajid Javid, you know, fresh off the boat from Rochdale and he revoked Shamima Began's passport. And I say, it took one of my lot to stab one of my lot in the back with a kebab skewer. Because no, you know, had Theresa May.
2: You know, it's funny because that's what they say in in the Mafia, Ray Liotta was like, when a wise guy is going to get clipped, they always send another wise guy.
1: Yeah. And it was like, more than anybody, he should have understood her religion, her culture, her background, her difficulties, because he was from that culture. Yeah. And and yet he was the one to make her stateless so she can't come back. And no previous Home Secretary had done this. And I use him as an example of, as of a coconut. But then a, a greater example would be Pretty Patel. Mm. She is the greatest. You know, I think, you know, how, how does Sajid Javid sleep at night? Well, he sleeps really well next to a white woman called Pretty Patel. <laughs> because she is, she is the coconut of all coconuts. You know, she's an immigrant. And what is she doing? Deporting all immigrants at her... at her. You know, she's doing that. She's got the power to not deport them. She's an yeah. immigrant herself. She's deporting all immigrants at any cost. She just wants to get them all out. In the end, she'll have to deport herself. Well,
2: because... this is the thing, yeah. That's a part of her, her, the, the whole pretty Patel paradox is when she was like, if my dad came here, I wouldn't let him in. But it's like... Do you not see the paradox of that? If your dad wasn't allowed to come into the country, you wouldn't have access to the resources and education that afforded you your position of power to you make said decisions. It's it's the pretty patel paradox.
1: But I talk about this like in terms of like pulling up the ladder behind you. Everybody does it, regardless of your black or Asian or an immigrant. Everybody does it. Thatcher did it. White, working class, daughter of a green grocer, she becomes the Britain's first female prime minister. She did nothing for women and nothing for working class people.
2: Yeah. Well, Claren- the- Clarence Thomas is the Attorney General in the United States and mm. we've never seen legislation change in order yeah. to benefit African-Americans. Or Kamala Harris was one of the most vocal people in terms of the incarceration of African-Americans for drug charges as well. Um, Howard, sorry we're not left out of this conversation. Is there a Jewish <laughs> person for any uh, Jewish person that maybe displays some either anti-Semitic slash potentially anti-Zionist viewpoints.
0: Let me you go into it, I'll come back
2: to
0: you. <laughs> Not the <I, laughs> jumps I, out. I, I,
2: oh, I, and I, get I, this, Shaz, did you know that J. Edgar Hoover, the guy who oversaw COINTELPRO, which was for the surveillance of and even the uh, marginalization of black progression and possibly implicated in the deaths of Martin Luther King and, uh, and uh, Malcolm X, had an African-American ancestry as well? J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI, really?
1: I didn't know that. came
2: up with the whole thing to pursue, uh, and, and obviously the fact that he was also known for being a uh, homosexual as well, but then created legislation to oppress the homosexual community.
1: In or, denial, self denial. Yeah, but I think Jewish people generally, from what I've seen, what I've what my what I know from my friends, they're very supportive to each other. Hmm. They really do stick together, and I don't know if that's because of your history and what you've been through that you feel that you should do that. More yeah. than say Thatcher, um, but I find you to be very supportive and supportive to my community and my people as well.
0: Yeah, definitely not. No one's springing to mind, and probably a tough, <laughs> tough thing to Google anti-Semitic Jewish people. You're not going to get instant <laughs> results there.
2: Yeah, um, <laughs> but then, but then, but then, is there the argument that, for example, America's close ties with the state of Israel, despite the fact that Americans' mm. companies supplied, like LG Farben, for example, supplied some of the chemicals used in Uh, death camps and also the fact that america has been known for prolifically incubating and providing asylum to nazis following operation paperclip
0: yeah this will always come back this will always come back to the same thing which is like morals over money or money over morals and uh, america we know we know where you stand (laughs) (laughs) very very clearly (laughs) very 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 clearly clearly. Uh, for many many generations um, but that it, that phrase is fascinating. No, yeah. Well, I tell you why because I grew up in a place, multicultural place in East London, where it would be used as an insult. Mm. I think. Oh, a, it is. It is. Oh I mean, no, it still is. Yeah, it still Well, I, oh, I think it has it has gained more uh, reclamation. That people have reclaimed it in in a kind of. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's more than I think. It feels like more. Tell me if I'm wrong. It feels like more than just an insult now. Whereas I think earlier in my life it was it was just an insult.
1: Yeah, I think it still is an insult. It's a racist term, um, but it's used. It's weird. It's a racist term, but it's used in a in an informative way. You know, coconut is a term used by brown people about other brown people who are not seen to be helping the cause of brown people. Yeah. So it is a racist term, but. It's kind of educationalist as well. At the same time, it says something about what we should be doing and we're not doing. Like When I first heard the term bounty and I asked somebody about it, I asked this woman about it, this black woman, and she said, well, we call Oprah Winfrey a bounty. And I said, really? (laughs) And And she said, yeah. And I said, why? And she said, well, she's made a lot of money listening to white women's problems, but she didn't do much for the progress of black women. So we call her a bounty. And I thought, well, if she did everything for black women, she wouldn't have the power that she has now. You do have to take from the white people in a way to progress. And yeah,
2: if, if nothing else, financially.
1: Yeah, and yeah. she definitely did that.
2: Well, they and, and, and this is the, and like Howard said, morals over money is that like you know Oprah Winfrey is more than one of the more prolific and only known self-made black billionaires. Yeah, and so is this where the trade-off comes. Is the question because
1: but now now that she's got the power that she has, she can use that wield that power in any way that she wants towards black women, white women, any woman. So she she can help now. She's got her status, you know.
2: And it's a question of her doing it. I think it's interesting because for me, when I was younger, the uh, connotation of a bounty didn't necessarily have the uh, socio political. connotations it has in terms of when you discuss someone like Sajid Javid or a Preeti Patel, it was more about displaying behaviours or having tastes, which are normally associated with whiteness. So it was basically on yeah. um, maybe the food you eat or even how your hair was done or the music you listened to. And for me... Um, that was something I wanted to uh, push back against because I felt like it used to inhibit people's human and creative potential if they were told that there's a certain box they have to remain in because of their race. And I think a large amount of it is a very subversive technique that's used by white supremacists and by racists in order to divide and conquer because it's almost, for an example, music being an example where it's like, for black men, it's almost seen as... If you were to present yourself as someone who likes acoustic guitar or likes heavy metal or rock and roll, people would say that's like some white guy stuff. But these are all genres of music which were created by black people. Yeah. It's almost been engineered to kind of separate that image from ourselves that when people close their eyes and they think about the quintessential rock star, they imagine a white guy which would have like the whole hair metal look and the lycra, um, the lycra Megans and the electric guitar when rock and roll was actually created by a black woman uh called sister rosetta tharp odd and then further innovated by chuck berry or even heavy metal heavy metal the images that when you think about your quintessential heavy metal band again it's a very hyper eurocentric almost like white scandinavian image when jimi hendrix was the uh forerunner of the subgenre of uh, heavy metal so that's the reason why i think it's been problematic but then it's an interesting point because the argument for someone being a coconut or a bounty for me there's almost like a weird way you can theorize how equality works because it does show you that cronyism plutocracy uh or even corruption doesn't really have a color if you are a person irrespective of being black white or brown and re- rise to a position of power you will have to use the same methods to maintain that power and for you to maintain your position within that power structure so uh, i guess the black equivalent of a um, Preeti Patel, Sadia Jabbar would be uh, the business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng,
1: yeah. or
2: um, the uh, equalities minister, Kemi Badenoch, who was very outspoken against learning about critical race theory and claiming that it should yeah. be illegal. Which was strange because critical race theory is not something that's part, taught as part of the school curriculum and really only takes place in like Oxbridge or Ivy League universities. Yeah, and there's been really one. Th- and also, the term theory should be a big part of the fact that it shouldn't threaten anybody because it's just theoretical yeah um,
1: but well, I understand that because Asian women have been cut out really from every walk of life nothing was a possibility for us yeah. we couldn't we couldn't be prime ministers or politicians or um, on TV or anything
2: or we or, run, or run or be successful in a business and and, and it, it becomes it becomes a very it becomes a very uh a when we look at like um Rishi sunak's wife yeah. and we look at someone like Preeti Patel because on paper if you hear about these accomplished women yeah. who are educated have great jobs have risen to these highest annals of business and finance like as an asian woman it's like that sounds quite inspiring and but we need
1: it and we needed that we yeah, needed that the, so what and what happens when we get one she yeah. turns she turns on us
2: and but, and, is, but, and then the question is is that the trade off because in the same way it's like you know south africa would have been uh, Indigenous South Africans struggled massively under apartheid. then you have the election of uh, Nelson Mandela and then Jacob Zuma. but then you hear the whispers of the uh, the corruption that takes place where Zuma takes the finances of the country and only goes to benefit a, a very small group of indigenous South Africans, but the larger populace is left to suffer because is that a part of the trade-off that when you rise in power, this is why I say, like, you know, the ideas of whiteness and Eurocentricity is not based on race, it's an ideology. So, in order for like these brown women or these black men to rise to these positions of power, is there a trade off where part of the political identity of being in these clubs means you make policies or endorse policies which will ultimately oppress people that resemble yourself? Yeah. And that like just a natural part of it that just yeah. that maybe we're all the same in that, whether you're black, white or brown, when you reach a position of power, you'll fuck over people that look like you over because not because of how they look, but because of where they exist in society. It's like, I found out apparently Michael Jordan invests in private prisons.
1: Really?
2: Yeah. And you think
1: oh, a lot nah.
2: of people in prison, especially the black ones are in there because they was trying to buy your fucking trainers.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: they were selling drugs to buy your trainers. Which are very expensive. There, there are people in prison who tried to buy your trainers because of how they were priced and how they were commod, how they were presented to them. So, yeah, there I mean, is,
1: there is a price to pay.
2: I mean, is, do, do you find pay. that it's it's been something that's e- been easier to define throughout your show? Is there like a unified theory of? I find that the coconut- white, the,
1: the white middle class Guardian leaders who, as you know, Jane, they never really come to laugh. They come to learn. They really yes. like. To, they really like to hear this from somebody like me because they might have seen it, they might have read about it, they, might, they don't want to use the term because they don't want to be called a racist. So they, they're they very interested to know how we feel about our own people mm. because it's always portrayed in the media. We know how kind of the white uh, supremacists feel about our people. But how do our people feel about our people? How do Asian women feel about Pretty Patel.
2: Which is a good, it's a really good question. And and really, it's like, um, is it something we'd want to empower non-people, uh, well, non, non-black non or brown people or white people, do you want to empower them for them to determine if someone is acting in benefit of their race or not? Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean.
1: We need to have the power that we've worked so hard and evolved to this point of where we're getting some prominent brown leaders yeah, oh, and we need, we need to be able to voice how we feel about that.
2: Yeah, because when you think about it, when you do see uh white people in positions of power that display corruption, at no point is the discussion about them being a traitor to their race ever discussed. No, 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 that... no one's no, because no one's ever like Harold Shipman, you really let white medical professionals no. down, or Boris Johnson, <laughs> you're really letting white men down, or no Austrians. No- are like, what is Hitler doing, man? That's This is not an Austrian thing.
1: We about chocolate, baby. Uh-huh. And there's no term for that.
2: Yeah, precisely. There's no,
1: there's no white Mars bar. There's no white bounty. There's nothing. No.
2: No, I mean it's really? N-word lover, or I guess, oh
1: yeah, yeah. or
2: Marxist sympathizer. You'd have, but oh, yeah. but there's no, but like, there's no White twigs, no I don't know. Yeah, Maybe but there's there. no term that really describes a white person that doesn't no. act in interest of serving of whiteness. One. Really interesting point. We yes. have
0: covered so much stuff in this episode, Dane. It has been another
2: great show, eh, mate. Undeniably, um, Shazia has Thank taken you. comedy and social commentary and broken it down to a science that even your most accomplished maths and English scholar aka Dizzy Rascal's second album could understand so thank you very much for coming on the podcast this has been really great and I think we need to definitely continue this conversation and I hope that uh, my audience members are as interested as I am and their curiosity has been piqued about this topic and so for those that want to find out more Shazia where can they see you
1: they can just come to my website uh, shazia-merza.com
2: and you oh. can find out a lot more and have the discussion but, and yeah. go and see you live
0: Shazia I believe lots. Of- yeah
1: yeah all my tour dates are on there they can come and see me on Instagram I'm on there once a month
0: Nice. So, <laughs> just once a month, just pop out. Keep an eye open, that's guys. It's a lot of effort, that Instagram. My God, that's a full time
1: job. Yeah. That is a full time job.
0: Well, uh, good luck with that full time job and the full time job <laughs> of, of, of performing comedy. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah, it's been great having you on the show. Thank
1: you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Asia. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dame Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danebaptweets or Instagram at danesnaptiste. Our guest was Shazia Mirza. You can follow Shazia on Twitter at shaziamirza1 and on Instagram at the Shazia Mirza. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by audio culture. You can follow audio culture on instagram at we are audio culture please rate and review the show on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to us you can find us on twitter and instagram at dbqepodcast thanks for listening guys and remember question everything